Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Today we've got a, what can I say? When I plan a week of meals, I like to have some variety. And with hundreds of meals to choose from, CookUnity has that part covered. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. Not too long ago, I tried the cauliflower and chickpea coconut curry. I love curry anyway, but even if you're not normally a fan, you should try this one. It's one of the dishes prepared by Chef Michelle Bernstein here in Florida. She has a couple of restaurants here, and she's also a judge on the TV show Chopped, so you may have already seen her. But aside from the taste, it's the convenience. Because let's face it, even if I knew how to cook, I don't have time. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when mealtime rolls around, I pick out what I feel like eating, and within just a few minutes, it's ready. No prep and no cleanup. And when I say variety, I'm talking over 350 different meals from dozens of chefs. You can decide based on a chef you like, or protein content, or just what you prefer. The menus are updated weekly, so there's always something new. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Really fun episode that's going to make you smile. My guest today is Robin and Robin likes to have fun. She's different and she's on today's show to tell us about an experience she had She was hired by the Oscar Mayer Hot Dog Company to drive the Wienermobile. And I realize some people might not be familiar with the Wienermobile, especially those outside the U.S. What we're talking about here is a large vehicle that's designed to look like a giant hot dog. Yes, this is actually a street-legal vehicle, 27 feet long. That's about 9 meters If you're in the U.S., you might be surprised someday and see one traveling on a street right there in your city. And while this kind of vehicle seems like it would be unique, there are actually six of them traveling the country at any given time. They show up at grocery store grand openings, theme parks, pickle festivals, all kinds of events. And the drivers give out merch such as weenie beanies, wienermobile Hot Wheels cars, and the ever-popular wiener whistles. Well, my friend Robin decided that she wanted to be a Wienermobile driver. So today she's going to talk about how she made herself stand out from the other 1,000 applicants and got the job and what the job is actually like. And a couple other things. Robin lives in New York City. You've heard of The Moth, right? Really popular podcast. In New York, they regularly do storytelling competitions, and Robin has competed in these. They're called Story Slams. And she has actually won. 
And at the end of the episode, I asked her to tell me about the time she was able to meet the comedy legend, Jerry Stiller. Great story. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you'd like to support the show and get access to all the bonus exclusive content, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And now here's Robin. How long is the Wienermobile? The Wienermobile is 27 feet long. However, the one that I drove back in the day was 23 feet long. And I wish I could tell you how many hot dogs long that is because that used to be a fun fact that we knew. (laughs) (laughs) A fun Frankfurter fact. (laughs) Do you know why they changed the length? Um, Probably because they changed the type of car that it's based on. The one that I drove was based on a um, Chevy van chassis. And the newer ones are GMC. I think they're based on GMC trucks. So how do you end up getting a job like this? I mean, nobody ever thinks about, wow, I want to grow up and drive the Wienermobile, but maybe you did. I had never seen it before. I grew up outside of Hartford, and I later found out that the Wienermobile rarely went to New England. They used to travel to a a lot of people who grew up in Chicago know about the Wienermobile because they had a plant there. And in Philly, they had a factory there as well. So those were some of the more concentrated areas where the Wienermobile would travel back like a a really long time ago. And um, so I'll tell you about how I got it in a second. But so the Wienermobile program started in 1936, and they were the very first company to ever create a mobile marketing program. And what they did initially was they had these little people chefs who were essentially the spokespeople or mascots, if you will. And they had drivers taking them around and they would hand out little wiener whistles. They called those people little Oscars. And you might know one of them because he is in The Wizard of Oz. His name is Meinhardt Robbie. And he played the coroner. So that section where he's like, as coroner, I must have her, I thoroughly examined her. Do you remember that part? I Confession time. Um, Don't this tell is a me weird, you've never seen The Wizard of Oz. You're going to kill me if you tell me it's that. A, it's a weird fact about me, but I have <gasps> never seen The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Listeners, you need to stop right now and put some kind of, send a message, send I don't know. Why haven't you seen it? I'm sorry to hijack this. I've, you've asked me well, how I got the job and I'm already like, what? <laughs> <laughs> whenever, we're at, whenever we're at a group party yeah. and you play that game, like write down three things about yourself and people have to find out or decide which one's not true. That's, that's the one that always fools them because I guess everybody's seen it. You know what's crazy about the fact that you're telling me this right now? Last week, I hosted a few storytelling shows for a client And we did two truths and a lie because I wanted to do a lot of engagement with the audience. And one of the things that crossed my mind, because I'm actually a horrible moviegoer and I haven't seen The Matrix, but I thought to say to to tell the audience that I've never seen The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Because I was like, they're going to be like, that's insane. That's a lie. Of course not. Everybody's seen that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I like, okay. your listeners are going to appreciate the song. I just, I just sang cause they're going to be like, I know exactly who you're talking about. Anyway, okay. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't, I don't mean, I'm just teasing you, you know, cause people, people will say to me, you've never seen the matrix. I'm like, no, I don't, don't make any references to it. Cause I'm not going to know. Well, I've never seen Star Wars either. So oh, my God. Where did you is, grow up? We, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen other movies. I like I like different types of movies. Okay. That's fair. Anyway, that's we, fair. We've kind of, we've, we, we're five minutes in. We've gone off the rails completely already. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, not <laughs> to, okay. I, I love puns, and I, we've already gone on a detour. If you want to do like a whole travel driving, you know, connected to cars, we know about uh, puns. So anyway, so, um, so I'd never seen the Wienermobile before. And I was a um, senior at Syracuse University and I was studying writing for television, radio and film and marketing. And I saw a poster for the Wienermobile and it was this bright turquoise or like royal blue 
background with this Wienermobile image. It was all illustrated with this party hat on it. And I was like, what is this thing? And by the way, the economy was in the toilet at this time. But it didn't matter because this is a much longer story. I'll try to give you a very abridged version of it. But essentially, I had a really horrible um, experience in college freshman year where I was bullied by about 60 guys. And they called me this name. They thought I looked like a guy from a movie. Let's see if you know this movie, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Spicoli? No, not Spicoli. It was uh, the science teacher, Mr. Vargas. Anyway, so they thought I looked like this guy and they called me Vargas morning, noon and night and they would call and wake me up in the middle of the night and whisper behind me in class and corner me in uh, the elevator and they just made my life hell. And anyway, so my, and all I wanted to do was on air work and I was terrified throughout most of college. So um, my senior year, I was in, in a really, really low state. I was incredibly depressed, which I was never like that before. And then I see this poster for the Wienermobile. And I'm like, Oh my God, this thing looks so fun. And so me. And what I found out, cause I went to an information session and I found out that they were looking for people to not only drive the Wienermobile, but serve as their spokespeople. And they wanted people who would travel in a region and do PR for them. And that meant they'd be on TV and on the radio and in the paper and make people's days essentially everywhere you went. And, oh, and the best part, I was like, oh, I get to sell hot dog puns every day. Like this, they're basically going to pay me to be myself. And so everything about it just screamed my name because it was endlessly creative. You were meeting new people all the time. And because I felt like I had missed out on a lot of opportunities in college to really express myself, my voice, and be on TV and be on the radio. I like didn't join campus TV or radio because of what had happened freshman year. Then I was like, I, it was almost like I was getting a chance to make up for lost time. And then I found out how hard it is to get this job. And I, I set out to, to knock their gold toads socks off with, with my, with my creativity. Yeah. A lot of people want this job. Yeah. I had no idea because I had, I had never seen it. Like I said, and they were choosing 10 people out of a thousand applicants, or as I like to say, it was dog eat dog. So you had to figure out a way to set yourself apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. As, yeah. as did all the other people. I'm sure they were thinking, okay, how can I stand out? And, but you actually did it. I did. Thank you. Um, it, and it's funny, be, I'll, I'll share what I did because I really was, I really was in such a low place that I, and I, I know it's going to sound silly, but like, I was like, if I don't get this job, I'm going to kill myself. And that's like, that's truly how low I was at the time. And it's, it makes me so sad now to think about 21 year old me. Actually, I was 20 when I applied being just like that desperate, but it really fueled me and it, and and so anyway, so I, I was like, everybody's going to put puns in their cover letter. Like, that's obvious, you know, and I, but I still did it. So I, I said like, um, oh, a hearty hot dog. Hello to you. Exclamation point. I recently traveled to Europe where I used, got to use, use real French and Swiss francs. What a lucky dog I was. Exclamation point. And the whole thing is like completely riddled with puns. And then I catered my resume to the job and I, I was like bragging about my excellent driving record and my impending BSS degree in bologna sandwich skills because I thought that was so hilarious. But I was like, but everybody's going to do this. You know, like that to me is just, it was like so basic. And so that's like the standard. That's the baseline. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah okay. I was like, I know I'm better than that. So I put a cassette together of me singing self promotional songs. And it was around the holidays, so I called it Rockin' Robin's Hot Dog Holiday Favorites. And I drew, I didn't know how to do anything. Like, I didn't know how to do graphic design. I didn't know how to do any kind of audio production. But I just, like, would book the studios, put myself in those rooms, and, like, throw in Winter Wonderland and sing over that. So because I, so what I did was I, um, I did uh, parodies of, 
the ho holiday songs because it was around the holidays. And I did, um, now that I'm singing a second song for you, Scott, provided you you include the first part of me teasing you <laughs> about the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> I'm hoping you recognize this song, um, or at least the, the, the song on which it's based. So I did like, Oscar Mayer, do you hear me? Wanna be in that weenie? I'll drive it around all over the town. Wanna be a hot dogger. And like, I just kept going. And then I did another one because I was, I, I was like, yeah, I'm Jewish. I got to represent my peeps. So I did um, Robin Gelfenbein. Robin Gelfenbein, that is my name all the time. This job will be mine. My shoe size is nine. I'm Jewish, but I dig on swine. And so I was like, really, I was like, you know, they get to see my personality, my sense of humor. And then I drew a Christmas tree for the outside of it on the cassette itself. I drew a Christmas tree with little hot dog ornaments and a menorah with lot, with little hot dog candles, which is like so, so sacrilege. And, um, it's like you were channeling Weird Al Yankovic with yes. all the parodies and stuff. Uh -huh. As you can imagine, I was a huge Weird Al fan as a kid. Um, he still is quite talented. So I, I sent it off and, and, but I still was like, so in such a bad place that I was, I was like, they're not going to hire me. And then I got a letter cause that's how we rolled back then. And I get a letter and I have my first meeting with the Syracuse district manager for Oscar Meyer. And he and I got along famously, like I was so happy that, and he had, he had listened to my cassette I think so. I was like, "Oh, sweet!" You know, like he knows, my, he knows my work. And so, um, and then I like wiggled my ears because I didn't want to, you know, lie about my special skills on my resume. Like I was so eager, Beaver. And I mean, I, I felt like it went well, but I don't know, you know. And then I waited and waited and waited and found like another letter from Oscar Meyer saying that I cut the mustard, and they flew me to Madison, Wisconsin. And the, what they did in terms of winnowing down the field of applicants was they, you know, they started out with a thousand, they broke it down to 40 and then second interviews were done with 10 people each. And I got flown out to Madison the night before they had uh, a hot dog social with like the senior execs and the other applicants. And they wanted to see like how you got along with people. Like if you were personable and friendly and carry on conversations because it's such a huge part of the job but also if they want to see if you could like if you ate hot dogs because <laughs> like the year before a vegetarian had slipped through the cracks and that's when I met Russ and Russ I'm smiling your listeners can't tell that I'm smiling but I'm smiling because I just texted him yesterday he's like a sweetheart of a man but at the time I had heard how absolutely intimidating he was because he was a former army sergeant. They had a former army sergeant running the Wienermobile program. Like what? And so he gave me one word answers. You know, I just was like, Ugh. like I was so excited about this opportunity. Anyway, so the next morning they do, um, we're up at 7 a.m. right in the conference room. And like you have nine back-to-back -back meetings, everything's super intense. And I'm sitting in the conference room with all of my competition. I mean, basically it's like a reality show. And people like pulled out all the stops. I mean, like in the past, like I'd heard about a guy who'd made like a miniature version of the Wienermobile and he did not get the job. <laughs> like apparently he did too much, but one of the other people, so basically they have you meet with like PR, HR, marketing, sales, you know, all different people within the organization and they all have like a vote on who gets it or. Yeah. And then they also have you do an on-camera interview, which is a huge, because media was such a huge part of our job. They wanted to see how you did on camera. And anyway, so one guy did a debate between Ross Perot and Bill Clinton as to which condiment is best on a hot dog. And that was like part of his on-camera interview. And I was just like, oh man. And of course I had prepared something, you know, I, cause I didn't know I was given a hot tip. I was very excited because one of, one of the people recruiting at Syracuse was a Syracuse grad. And he said, 
I want to give you a little insider information. After they ask you all your questions during the on-camera interview, he's going to ask you if you have anything to add. And that's your opportunity to shine. And I was like, awesome, because I wouldn't have known that. And so I wouldn't have prepared this, this, I prepared, of course, another song, but this time I brought my tap shoes, not factoring in that I'd be tap dancing on carpet. So uh, when I got to this conference room, I was devastated. I was like, no, like, I was like, I thought about everything else, you know, Scott, I was like tap dancing in the bathroom, trying to do it quietly. So my competition wouldn't hear me like as I'm practicing in between interviews. Did you carry the shoes in with you or were you wearing I had a, I had a backpack. Oh yes. Uh, no, no, I did. But you, you know, you would have, I, I did wear them in. You would have thought like you're walking down the carpet throughout the whole, like at hot dog HQ. Like how could you not think about, oh, you think they're going to have like hardwood floors in there? Like what, what, you know, I just didn't think about it. And so once I got there, I was really upset. And you couldn't exactly bring a big piece of plywood or something to. No. No. And there wasn't even a conference table I could consider getting on if I wanted to. (laughs) Let me tell you, I was desperate. I wanted that job badly. So, um, so I just launched into my routine and I sang and I I asked the guy behind the the camcorder, you know, to pan down to my shoes so they could see I'd gone the extra, they could see I'd gone the extra mile. And I mean, I looked ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> like, do I don't know if you know wings. I can show you. I'm trying to describe like what wings are for um, your audience. It's basically like a tap dancer's like premier move, where it's just like you're you're you look like well, the way I describe it is like I look like a snow angel on crack, but um, it was bananas. And and when I was done, like the guy gave me nothing, no response, and I was so embarrassed. And I thought he, they hate me. Like I just made such an ass out of myself. And so worst interview ever, right. Or on camera. Yeah. W U R S T. Hey. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was like, I got to redeem myself. And that's when I was going in to meet with Russ, the Wienermobile manager, AKA top dog. And so the thing about Russ was like, you know, I already mentioned the fact that he was a former army sergeant, but he was like really stoic. And he had this weird habit of breathing like Darth Vader, which was disconcerting and so intimidating. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And so I go in, I sit in his office. He's got this small table, asks me a bunch of questions and I respond and then ask him a bunch of questions. And then I asked him if he had a chance to listen to my Wienermobile demo. And he opens his top desk drawer. And sitting there is Rockin' Robin's Hot Dog Holiday Favorites. And I am so excited. I was like, oh, my God. He knows my work. This is awesome. And then he goes, oh, you're this Robin? Oh. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Just, like dagger in the heart. And I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, like, I'm like, have I gone too, am I too much? Like, what's, you know? And so I was like, well, if you want, so then he tells me he hasn't listened to it. I said, well, if you want, I can listen to it. You can listen to it on my Walkman. And he's like, that won't be necessary. (laughs) And I was like, how about this? Why don't I sing a few songs that didn't make it on the album? And, and I didn't even let him answer. And I sang, so I, on the plane ride, I had written two more parodies. And I sang the first one. And when I'm done, when I was done, I had zero response. And I was just like, oh God, this is mortifying, but I still have to try. I was like, I did, I'm, I did my homework. You know, like I want to do, show you how badly I want this. I sang the second song. And the last thing I sang was, I'm going to have this job before I'm dead. Those were the lyrics. And he goes, hmm. And I'm like, uh, what does that mean? 
I don't know how to read this room. I'm so confused, <laughs> you know? And I get on the plane and I cry the whole flight home. I'm just like, I made the biggest ass on myself. Russ hates me. Everybody over there thinks I'm like such a clown. And, you know, like it was just, I was, my self-esteem was already shattered and that just felt like it pushed me farther down. And I went back to school and like, there were so few jobs at the time and I was interviewing for like bugle boy jeans. I don't have any passion for fashion. Like all I want to do is drive a weenie bago, you know? And um, then like a month or six weeks pass and I get a phone call and I hear Robin. Like, uh, I know that voice. This is before caller ID people. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, I know that voice. I know that you're breathing. And he's like, this is Russ calling from Oscar Mayer. We'd like to offer you a position as one of our hot doggers. And I'm like, <gasps> so excited and just jumping up and down and screaming and crying. And, and it was like, you know, he may as well have proposed to me. I was so happy. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, that, that job was still to this day. And I've done some really, I'm very lucky. I've done some really cool things, but that was hands down the best job in the world best job in the world. I loved it. And I, and I found out later, and this is me tooting my own horn and I'm not trying to sound boastful, but given what I've now shared about how I was so, um, I doubted myself throughout that entire process. I found out later that I was their top choice. Wow. Right from the start. Mm -hmm. I didn't honestly find that out until probably about 10 years ago. He said something to me when I was working on my solo show about it. And I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, just to know how absolutely depressed and how I just was so hopeless and I thought I was worthless. And to know that out of a thousand people, I was their first choice was like, I'm like, you should have told me that then, dude. <laughs> but I mean, people have a job. It didn't matter. I guess they wouldn't want to respond or applaud or anything like that to give you false hope if you didn't get chosen i suppose that's true because it was you know by by committee yeah because they're really trying to find the right mix of people to represent the brand because i mean the web was around then but it wasn't i mean we just basically i mean it was barely around so they didn't really have any we were their foot soldiers we and so they really want to find people who are trustworthy because we're driving around in this million dollar vehicle (laughs) Mm -hmm. and yeah. And it's their brand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they wanted to make sure we were representing them really well. So that's part of the reason why it's such a hard job to get. And the other piece was like, we were pitching media all the time. So we, we, um, we, they wanted to know that it's different from the mobile marketing programs. Now, like if you see the, like a Red Bull or like the Hershey Kiss Mobile, those those sorts of things. Quite often they're just handing out coupons or they're handing out little, you know, premium items or trinkets. But the majority of our job was getting media attention and all the markets we visited. Of course, like being kind to people and, and, you know, fun and entertaining and engaging. But that's why, that's why it's so hard to get is because you need to have, they, they trained us on that, but on, on media relations, but they really wanted people who had those, um, those skills and that creativity to really be entrepreneurial in a sense. So what kind of training did you have to go through? What did they do? I went to hot dog high and it was a week long program that took place at Oscar Meyer and it was really detailed and really thorough. And, and I was always a good student. So I was like eating it up, you know, no pun intended. And what they walked us through was, we learned a lot about the product. We went on tour of the facility. We learned about media relations, how to work with meat managers and sales reps in all the different markets. You know, we learned how to drive the vehicle, how to maintain it, all the things about this is sort of boring, but like, you know, expenses because everything we did was not digital. <laughs> and um, we did a lot of training for, like on camera stuff, they would, you know, we had to learn a lot about which sound bites we, they wanted us to use. We were certainly, they gave us a ton of like leeway in terms of things that we could say on our own and, you know, funny puns and that kind of stuff. But they did, they did a lot to treat 
teaching us how to pitch media because we would have these things, oddly enough, called bacon guides, these big directories of different media outlets across the country. They were huge. They were they were like much larger than like a, a phone book. Um, and inside there, you'd have like assignment editors and uh, producers and all these people to pitch. So did you have to book yourself on these for these appearances? Well, they gave us a schedule three months in advance for where we would be like visiting grocery stores or. So this was all pl- that, that stuff was planned out. You had a schedule to you're traveling here to here, or appear at this address and all that. You didn't have to come up with all that on your own then. That's good. No, we didn't. But, but, but we did. So let's say we were going to be in Pittsburgh for like a radio promo or something and visiting, they called them store calls. We would also plan our own events around that. So we might do like take a wiener to work and we would do a radio morning show where we would ask people like, why is your boss a wiener and why does he or she deserve a ride to work in the wiener mobile? And, uh, or we would do like, we, this is one of my favorite things to do was like take kids to the prom. And so we did a radio contest for that and, you know, so that we'd be bantering with the hosts, but I, I would like pitch those ideas to producers or we would visit children's hospitals. We delivered meals on wheels. And so once all of those events that we were supplementing for sort of the anchor events for that, the, that corporate had set up for us, then I would be pitching media around those events as well. Was it always just you driving or were, are there a, you have like a co-pilot or, or is it just you traveling around? I had a co-pilot. His name is Jason. He was my complete opposite, <laughs> which is why I'm working on a screenplay about this experience. I did a solo show about it many years ago, but it's, you know, it's like a fun buddy movie based on my, that my life experience of like, he listened to, hip hop. I listened to show tunes. Like he was a complete horn dog. I was a virgin. Like every, like he broke the rules. I was a total rule follower. So like everything about it was just like, you know, it's like made for a movie. It's like these two opposites trapped together in a 23 fiberglass, 23 foot long fiberglass hot dog, you know, crisscrossing the country in a, in the wiener mobile. So that made things a little bit in, actually incredibly challenging because he didn't want to do any work. <laughs> and I was like, this job means everything to me. I don't want to lose it. So it was, I mean, there's so many funny things that, that we, you know, he would like drag race the Wienermobile. He'd do donuts in the Wienermobile. And I am like screaming, freaking out. Cause I didn't want people to see us. Cause I was always afraid. Like, People might know people who work at Oscar Mayer. They might know people who work for Kraft and they're going to call and say, I just saw the Wienermobile doing, you know, I can't even say we were ever speeding, but because that thing moves so slowly, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, so, th- so there was a lot of fear around, around us getting into trouble. Right. And there's, it's not like there's 10 Wienermobiles in the Northeast United States that you don't, they wouldn't know who it is. Obviously it would, they would figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Cause there are only six Wienermobiles on the road at any given time. And our territory was huge. It was Toronto to Virginia to Ohio. Do they, does the company encourage all the hot dog puns? And actually my real question is, do they discourage sexual innuendo hot dog puns? Big time. I could imagine that's not their brand. They don't. Not at all. They're, they're very milk and cookies. They're very family oriented. So one of the things they told us was to never, park the Wienermobile like in or near like in front of or near like unsavory places like a bar or a strip club and I remember when that Anthony Wiener scandal came out I think this was like seven years ago or maybe longer somebody said to me like oh they should totally milk this and I was like they're never gonna do that no way that's not who they are at all you can get media certainly but it's absolutely completely off brand for them. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, like every other, they, they gave us a list of pork puns. And then of course we came up with our own, you know? 
What kind of crazy stuff happened while you were out driving this thing? Well, when we were at the Cleveland Air Show, and I remember one night these guys from the Blue Angels were walking around the vehicle, and I was a little suspicious of what they were doing, but I think I went upstairs to my hotel. I think we had to leave early the next day or something, so I didn't really... Say, I don't even think I said anything to Jason, but when we came down to leave, the, our license plate had been stolen. And all of the Wienermobiles have fun vanity plates, like hot dog. They're not the most creative. Hot dog, <laughs> Oscar. Ours was called Our Dog. One's called Wiener. You know, the one I always wanted to drive was Big Bun because I just thought that was such a fun name. So I was like, oh man. And so really bummed about that. Cause I never wanted to call Russ for something like that, you know, cause he put the fear of God in everyone. So Jason took it upon himself to make us a temporary license plate out of a manila folder and washable markers, which is really smart, really, really creative dumbass and so anyway so i was like we are such like nobody can miss us on the road you know but whatever so we drive through ohio we drive all the way across 80 through pennsylvania we cross into new jersey and within seconds we get pulled over and i thought it was hilarious it was about three months into the job and I had a camcorder with me. It was a graduation gift. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be great footage for my Wienermobile demo. And that demo, a uh, movie or documentary. Because what they had always, to- they told us at Hot Dog High was like, don't, you don't have to worry. I mean, obviously we had to obey all speed limits and traffic laws and all of that, of course. But, but they said, you know, quite often if you get pulled over, it's usually the cops just wanting to say they pulled over the Wienermobile and you can give them some wiener whistles, which are, um, you know, just these little tchotchkes and bribery. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how like a little trinket can get you out of a ticket, you know? Um, or so I thought. So, um, I mean, people didn't really carry on cameras then, but if they had a disposable camera with them, then they, you know, they might want to take some pictures with it. So as soon as we got pulled over, I was like, this is going to be hilarious. And so I'm in the back, the, wiener, the way the Wienermobile is set up is like you actually are sitting in front of the engine where the driver and the passenger are. And then we have this thing behind there called the doghouse, which covers the engine. And that's what we would climb over. So I was sort of leaning on the, on the engine and I'm taking a shot of the side mirror with the police cars, like lights going. And you can see a little bit of the, of the car itself. You're already picturing how this is going to play on on the big screen. Exactly. Uh I'm a storyteller. I was like, ooh, I'm going to open with this shot. And Jason turns around. And by the way, we had uniforms all the time. They were like ketchup and mustard colored uniforms. Jason turns around. He's got a tie-dye shirt on. And he is like, put that away. And I was like, oh, come on. This is going to be great footage. And he was so nervous. He's like, put it away. I'm like, fine. And so I... I did very reluctantly cop comes up and this guy is like kind of, you know, sort of stereotypically like he was a New Jersey state trooper. He was sort of like James Gandolfini and a little Danny DeVito, but like with all the personality of Dick Cheney. So, you know, you're expecting them, him to, I'm thinking he's going to think this is funny. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's got, he's not having it. It's like license and registration. And then um, he makes Jason get out of, it's always funny to hear cops. They're like, I need you to get out of, and then he's like looking at this thing up and down. He's like out of, uh, out of the car. <laughs> and so we had a gullwing door. They still do sort of like kit from Knight Rider, like the way it opens on the side, the doors open on the side. And Jason goes out and he is shitting his pants. He's so nervous. And I'm like, I don't know what he's so afraid of. He goes and talks to the cop. I can't really hear what's happening. I, he comes back in. He's still nervous. And he says, he wants to talk to you. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going to take care of us this situation. I got this. 
I go flying out of the Wienermobile. I've got a goofy t-shirt on, like literally has goofy on it. I'm like, hello, officer. And he's like, where are you headed? And I'm like, well, tomorrow we're doing a hot dog eating contest in Secaucus. And like, you know, I'm like giving him like our full schedule. And I was like, you should come. <laughs> like, what dork. And then he says, um, where, where are you coming from? And I was like, oh, we're at the Cleveland Air Show. Da-da. And then he says, do I have any reason to uh, suspect anything uh, illegal in this vehicle? And I was like, illegal? What are you, huh? And he's like, any substances? And I was like, right on the spot, Scott. I go, no, there's no hash in this hot dog. And I'm like so proud of myself coming up with a pun right there. And like, he doesn't react to that. But I'm like, I don't give up, you know? So you're used to this reaction from your audition though. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's like, don't tell me. He's not even telling me no. It's like, don't even give me no. (laughs) Anyway. So uh, then he says something like, uh, well, how do I know you didn't drive this thing up here from Columbia? And I'm like, what is he talking? Like in my head, this man is insane. So I said to him, I was like, well, um, you know, officer, with, with all due respect, like, have, have you ever heard of Oscar Meyer? And he's like, yeah, but how do I know you didn't just slap this logo on the side of your car? And I'm like, slap a logo? <laughs> like, like, I just happen to have a 23-foot-long fiberglass hot dog car at my disposal. Like, wait, what? It was insane. And uh, anyway, so he ends up saying, like, uh, I'm going to need to impound this vehicle. Oh no, he says I want to I want to search it for drugs. I'm like, be my guest. Because I'm thinking, there's no drugs in here. And then I go back in. Cop goes back to his squad car and I'm talking to Jason. I was like, yeah, he says something I wanted to search it for drugs. And Jason's like, what? And and I said, Yeah, I'm like, you know, but in my head, I'm like, we're fine. And he's like, you know, Robin, we let people in here every single day. Somebody could have planted something. And he was like so nervous. And so he's like running to the back of the Wienermobile because the back quarter of the Wienermobile is all storage. And uh, he was freaked out. And he comes back out. The cop goes in. He searches the Wienermobile. We're standing out on the side of the highway. And uh, he ends up coming back out a little while later. And he's like, I'm going to need to impound this vehicle. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) And, And Jason's like, shit. And so we were like, but why? And, 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 and he's like, well, your registration's not coming up in our system. And we call Russ and Russ works it out with him. Cause this guy had been looking it up as a car and it's, it's registered as a truck. And that was all he needed to do. Finally, we were like sent on our way. Even with the, without a real license plate, he let you keep going. Well, he insisted we get a new one. And so we, yeah, we, we had that shipped out. I think we got it like two days later, but you were going to get that anyway even if you didn't get pulled over probably. Yeah. Yeah. We had a car phone, but we didn't have cell phones. So like we didn't know until we got down to the Wienermobile that, you know, the license plate had been stolen. So, um, so you got pulled over. First time I was ever pulled over was in the Wienermobile. First time I ever drove in New York city was in the Wienermobile, which was terrifying because there's no rear view mirror, just side mirrors. Oh, that seems dangerous. Yes, it does. How do you back up? With help. I mean, the one they have now, they have that rear camera. Oh, yeah. Okay. When I drove. When I drove back in the day. Like, I, I would need Jason to get out and help direct me. And, like, parking it, you have to take up two spots. You have to park diagonally, parallel. I'm a really good par- I'm a really good driver, and I'm a really good parallel parker. But parallel parking, that thing is really, really hard. That's probably one of the big reasons for having a co-pilot, too. Oh, sure. I mean, I was grateful for Jason because he was, I hate to say, like, all about, he he, he grew up going to, like, lots of NASCAR races because his dad worked at Daytona, Daytona Motor Speedway, so he was, like, really into cars. So he was good about, like, keeping the thing running, checking the oil, all that kind of stuff. They would never want to have two people. Like, you get so lonely. Like, you could make friends everywhere, but but because we were rarely in places for longer than like a day. I mean, if we got to stay somewhere for like two or three nights, it was a luxury. What was it like on your last day of the job? Um, the last day of the job was so disappointing. 
that's summer. So they let me, the job is usually for a year and they asked me to stay on and I traveled through Canada that summer and I got to travel in some other regions in the U S I think I saw about half of the States in the Wienermobile, which is a really cool way to see the world. And I was back on the road in the States. And so I was finishing up in October and I was at the Clausen pickle factory on a Saturday to do like a family event where they were serving like vanilla cake with vanilla frosting and pickles. And my job, <laughs> my job, they craft owned, uh, they probably still do the own Klaus and pickles. By the way, those pickles are delicious. <laughs> like I love, I love pickles. Anyway, so they, so Russ came up, which was nice because I got to bid him adieu. And I was traveling with somebody else. It was a new part of the hot dogger team. And my job that day, it was pouring out. And my job was to give kids a ride in the Wienermobile, but like in the circle in front of the building. Like it was just like doing a loop and it wasn't a big loop. So that was, that was what I was doing. I'm sure I handed out Wiener whistles too. So, you know, I got to go to Mardi Gras in the Wienermobile. I got to go to the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver in the Wienermobile. And I got to wrap up my tour of duty at the Klaus and Pickle Factory. <laughs> no one's ever asked me about the last event that I did. I mean, it, it's so fitting for me because it's funny, you know. That's fun. Well, it sounds like a. Uh, it sounds like it was quite a great experience. Obviously, fun's a fun. Yeah, and gives you all kinds of great stories to tell. And speaking of stories. You have experience with storytelling. I know people listening to this wouldn't have any idea that that would be the case. But uh, <laughs> you are, uh, I, you know, in in looking at your at your uh, information online, you are not just a great storyteller. You have actually performed on the Moth, which mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of my listeners listen to that uh, podcast, and not just performed on the Moth, but you've won the Moth Story Slam three times. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a pretty amazing thing. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know how you're supposed to respond to that, but, but I, I think I mean, it's pretty amazing. To, well, thank to, you. I appreciate that. Um, I think it's, I think it's funny because I call myself, well, I called myself the Susan Lucci of the moth because I came in second so many times over. I started going to the moth in 2009 and I fell in love with storytelling. There were other storytelling shows. I live in New York City, which I know you know, but just to let your listeners know. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And it, I, I lost by a tenth of a point. I mean, I just, I was ridiculous. And then when I won, it was, you're not going to believe this. It was last year. It took me that long. Well, I also stopped going for a while because I have my own storytelling show and it's getting booked on other people's shows. But um, the best part of my first win was that I beat the guy who was going for his 40th moth win that night. Wow. And he's a friend of mine. And, and just to give like a little bit of background for your listeners, if they've never gone to a live moth event, when they have story slams, they pick 10 people out of a bag. They call it a hat. It's a bag. Um, and um, you generally, like, you've got a good chance to win if you are chosen, like, 8th, ninth, or 10th. Because the scoring go like, they, the scores start really low at the beginning of the evening. Because people don't know what's coming up. Because you don't know who's performing. They only get picked after one the last person's done. So, so there's a strategy there, yeah. Yeah, so I was chosen eighth. So I was like, okay. And I knew I had a good story. And then I picked... So then the storyteller... like They they have the storyteller pick the next person. So I reach my hand into the bag. I pull it out. And it's a very good friend of mine, my friend Stacy. And I'm like, damn it! Because she's won the moth a bunch too. She goes up. I And and she does a great job, but I'm, I'm still winning. And then she picks... Matthew Dix, who again is a friend of mine. He's, he's a phenomenal storyteller 
And I was like, shit, he, he, he's 10th. He wins all the time. Like, I didn't know he was going for his 40th. And I'm like, he's got like, he's in the sweet spot. And when uh, he's done, everybody's applauding. My friend leans over to me. She's like, I don't know, Rob, like I, he did really well. And in my head, I'm like, fuck you. Like, you know, <laughs> and I, and I said to her, I go, I'm still going to be in. And they announced the, 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 they tabulate the scores. Everybody can see the scoreboard, by the way. And I was like, yes. And I beat him and he's incredibly competitive. And I was, I was really excited. And he was funny because he shared something on Facebook. He was like, if I'm going to lose to anybody, he's like, I was happy to lose to Robin. It's, it's incredulous that it's been this long without her winning. And then after that, it was like a snowball effect where I won, I won several after that. Well, some of your moth performances are online, right? On your YouTube channel, maybe, or on your website. So people can go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you go to um, my YouTube channel for my storytelling show is called Yum's the Word Show. And I think the title for that video is even like my moth winning story. So you can see that story there. And it's such a fun story to tell. I love that story so much. Um, and there's, there's a lot of content on my website too. It's robingelfenbein.com. When I listen to the moth stories uh, on the podcast, I always wonder, I mean, these, a lot of these people that do this are not professional storytellers, I don't think, anyway. Oh. They just have an experience they want to talk about, but you don't hear them stumbling for words. You don't hear a lot of crutch words like um and you know and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's like, it's like they have it, they're delivering it like it's the first time they've delivered it, but it's, it almost has to be memorized completely, right? I think a lot of them do when they don't have as much experience. Um, as I say, um, <laughs> uh, and I say, uh, I hate memorizing my stories mostly because I want it to sound as natural and conversational as possible. You know, I've been doing this for 11 years. I'm used to telling story. And I also, I, to be honest, like I just hate rehearsing, but the thing with the moth is that you're really limited to the time they give you five minutes. Uh, it, it depends. Like if, if it's, if it's a main stage show where they, the directors work with you, then you have more time. But typically for people who don't generally do this, like I do this professionally, they will memorize because they don't have the experience and they don't have, and this is a generalization. It's certainly not the case for everybody. They don't necessarily trust that they're going to remember everything. The thing that I always tell my storytelling students is know your first line and know your last line because you want to nail those really well. But everything in between, even though we've worked on stories together and developed stories together, the audience isn't going to know. But we we as the audience want to know that we're in good hands as soon as you start. And we want you to stick that landing in a really satisfying way. And endings are so so hard to do. So anyway, so I try to not, I I just don't like memorizing because I just want, and the other thing is when you memorize, I find I'm not as present with my story. I try to relive my stories when I share them as much as I can. I really want to imagine that world again. So you can see that same world that I'm living in. All right. I got to ask you this. I I know, and I don't want to take too much of your time, but you had the opportunity to meet a comedy legend, Jerry Stiller, because you live in New York City. Obviously, he he did as well. Can you just tell us about how that went? About 15 years ago, I met his daughter, Amy Stiller, Ben Stiller's sister. And she and I would bump into each other in the neighborhood. I live on the Upper West Side. And one night I was walking home from a first and last date. And we just, you know, we just bumped into each other, said hello. And, and I had seen on Facebook earlier that day that it was her father's birthday. And I said, Hey, tell my fellow Syracuse grad, happy birthday. And she said, do you want to tell him yourself? And in my head, I'm like doing cartwheels. I'm like doing high fives to myself. I'm like, Oh my God. And so I was like playing it cool. Like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. Sure. If that, if that's cool. And she said, yeah, come on. He lives a block away from me, or he lived. 
a block away from me. I didn't know that. Um, so we're walking into her parents' apartment. And I, I'm like walking through a comedy hall of fame as soon as I set foot in that door. Because there are photos of Ben Stiller when he's a kid and plenty of pictures of Amy and Ann Mira and Jerry Stiller. I mean, all over the place. Um, it was a very cozy home. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm about to meet Jerry Stiller. And I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of celebrities for my Yum's the Word show, which is my storytelling show here in New York City. But it like this is like somebody who's like on a whole other echelon because he's such a he's such a legend. And uh, but I wasn't nervous. I just I was just excited and we walk into this big living room and off in the kitchen there are these three women sitting there giggling and and uh, Amy says, Dad, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And I walk in front of him because his back was facing me and he's got this like Superman apron on or something. And I was like, what a character, you know? And I said, happy birthday. And he was so gracious and so kind. And I am a huge, huge Seinfeld fan. But Ann Mira had just passed away two weeks earlier. And I just didn't want to, I didn't really know, like, should I say anything about that? Should I keep it not focused on that. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't really sure how to, how to approach things. And I just didn't want to be that person who's like, Oh my God, I love you. I'm sorry about like, Oh my God, I love Frank Costanza. You know, like, and kind of go bananas. So I just kind of, he, he came out of the gate with so many questions for me, asking me about the work I do. And I told him about my yum's the word show and, and how I make ice cream cakes for it. And I, and Amy said, dad, dad, Robin drove the Wienermobile. And he didn't know what that was. So I had to explain to him what it was. And he said, so did you, so what is this like a vaudeville act? Like you'd pull out a stage in front of, a front of this, this Fakakta car. And I was like, no, I didn't perform. Cause I told him about how I tapped in to get the job. So he thought that I was performing, you know, like traveling around from city to city. And uh, he was absolutely lovely. Just asked me, he was so genuinely interested in me asked me so many questions and of course I asked him plenty of questions too but I, I really just kept it very we talked about Syracuse because he's got such uh he had such fondness for Syracuse too and uh, yeah I I never I never said anything about Seinfeld the whole time but she said dad we're gonna we should go see Robin's show and I said yeah oh well, of course I would love to have you um, you know, anytime as my guests. And he said, he said, I would, you know, would love to come. He's like, I can tell you're really funny, which, oh my God, like the best compliment in the world coming from him. And uh, I wish I was like, can you, can, can you say that again? Let me just record you saying like, say that. <laughs> um, and then again, with me trying to play it cool, because I, I didn't, I don't know Amy, or I didn't know Amy that well at the time. So I wanted to be really respectful. So I said to, to them, you know, my aunt um, went to Syracuse. She graduated in, um, when she graduated, like, 59? or uh, I, And I said, um, I know she, she'd really love a picture. And I was a thousand percent asking for myself. Of course. <laughs> and, he, and she said, oh, yes, of course, of course. And so he took a couple of pictures. And one, he was being a little bit of a ham. And then the other one, he was smiling. And I was, you know, I'm standing behind him. He's got this. Superman little apron on and, and he was a love. I, I don't even remember if I hugged him, but I was, I mean, I just, I'm, I, I was giddy. Like, Oh, the coolest. I mean, one of the coolest things in their house was where their apartment is that they had these, do you know who Al Hirschfeld was? No. Okay, so he's this famous illustrator. If you, if you Google it, he used to do all these um, black and white, illustrations of Broadway stars, all kinds of celebrities. And they're very like, if you get one of those, like you have made it sort of thing. They had two of those <laughs> in their apartment um, of like, you know, Stiller and Mira. And uh, yeah. And I just, I was just so moved by how lovely he was and, and so sweet. And that had to be, it just had to be almost surreal 
you know, did, and obviously Amy had no idea that, that, that would have such an effect on you just for her, just, Hey, come on and meet dad. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I wrote a blog post about it shortly after he passed away. And I was really, I I originally just wrote it as a, as a Facebook post and I didn't want to do anything that felt like exploitative given that the one time I met him, but I spent, I spent a few hours writing it because I really wanted to be very careful with how I was like paying my own respect to him for just the few, you know, we were probably together for hour, hour and a half. And so I, I wrote my post, I hit, you know, publish or post or whatever it is. And I was like, cause I tagged her and I'm like, I don't know how she's going to react. Like, you know, I don't know where she, how she's feeling. Like he just passed away, you know, like this is the middle of COVID. Like, I don't know how she's going to respond to this. And she wound up saying something in the, in the comment, and then she emailed me and then she called me and she left me the loveliest message. And she said, thank you so, so much for writing that beautiful tribute. It just reinforced why I was so happy that I got to show my friends who the real Jerry was. And you just completely captured that in your Facebook post. And that just meant so much to me. And I said, well, I can po- share it as a, as a blog post if you want, if you want. And she's like, yes, please. And so, so I, I was like, to me, like, I'm always trying to be really respectful, certainly when somebody's family member passes away and when they're that big, you know, I'm like, she's probably so overwhelmed. Yeah. For media requests and, and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have that picture on the, on the uh, website to show notes for this episode, along with all your social links and everything. What are you doing now? How, how can people find you or, or online or what are you up to these days? I have been doing a lot of things during the pandemic. I wanted to serve as much as I could and continue to make people laugh and take their minds off of what I call the C word. And um, so I've been teaching storytelling. I call it storytelling fun one. And it's for anybody who wants to learn how to tell a story. You don't have to ever share it at the moth, but, but storytelling is such an unbelievably valuable skill to have in life for moments like this, you know, talking to somebody like you, you can use it for job interviews. You could use it on a date. There's just a lot of, and there's a lot of business reasons for it too. And so I've been teaching storytelling. So there's information about my virtual classes on my site. But the thing that I've been most proud of during the pandemic that I created is a show for kids and it's called Recess with Auntie Robin. And I started that on March 13th and it's a very, very interactive, very fun show for kids. And I created it because I really wanted to help out parents who were just thrust into this, like everybody else, like this very intense time. I really wanted to give them a break and I really wanted to give kids an opportunity to just play and be silly. And so I make it really interactive and um, we're on hiatus now, but I'm bringing it back in the fall because I know, you know, every schools all over the place are doing different things and kids are going to be home still. And they dictate a lot of what happens on that show. I let them have a lot of creative say in the content and uh, it's always really, really fun. And I'm really proud of it. So you can find out information about that on my site as well. Or if you have a company, and because uh, there's a company I'm talking to, they want to offer it to their employees as an option too, so that they can, it's like, okay, for an hour, they're going to be so entertained and engaged <laughs> and uh, I can go take my meeting or, or whatever it is, just give, or whatever they want to do during that time, just give parents a break. But it's really like, there was a big gap when schools were closed and kids weren't able to see their friends and they didn't have an opportunity to be social. And that's a huge part of their development. And so I had kids tuning in from all over Arizona, Massachusetts, Charlotte, Bay Area. So it's really fun. Well, this has been a blast. It's been fun for me as I sit here in the dark. I feel like I'm doing like the Blair Witch Project because I've got like, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think to put the light on. <laughs> um, it's, it has gotten dark since we've uh, started this. But dark. This is great. You know, I, I've. I contacted someone a while back who also had driven a Wienermobile and he never got back to me. So I'm kind of glad he didn't because I, uh, I mean, selfishly, I'm glad he didn't either. And I think honestly, it's, I'm obviously very biased. I think it's more fun to talk to somebody who did it a long time ago when we didn't have the conveniences that we do now. Like I didn't have a laptop when I was on the road. I had to find Kinko's and write my press releases 
like rent their lap, you know, rent their computers and fax my press releases. Like it was a lot more difficult to do it then. There's just, you know, there's pros and cons to both. You know, it's like we didn't have Instagram, so people could take pictures and they would never get shared anywhere. You know, the dark ages. Yeah. 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 But I'm like, I'm like one of the originals in a way because the program started in 88. Uh, I didn't do it in 88. I did 93, 94. So, you know, it's like we, we're, we're a pretty proud bunch. Yeah. Way back in the beginning. That's cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for having me. That's a wiener whistle, people. I said, that's a, that's some, these are the ones I drove. I mean, these are the ones I handed out. They have different ones now. I got to get a picture of that too. A wiener whistle? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what you gave out to everybody, right? Yeah, I did. And those are those go back because those they used to be part of their the hot dog packaging. They had wiener whistles as like a prize. Oh, okay, I didn't Either, know. That. They don't do that anymore, obviously. So the only place you can get a wiener whistle is either from the wiener mobile itself. That's actually the only place now. I think you can probably order them online, or if you meet me, because <laughs> I have a stash. I bet you. I bet they're on eBay too. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. But I have, yeah, I have like a Wiener Mobile bank with my name on it. I've got, we call it Wiener Mobilia. Lots of Wiener Mobilia. Man, the puns are endless. They, I didn't even give you that stuff. many, but yes, they are. Uh, you know, it's like you don't want to get sandwiched in traffic. I bet you never sausage a thing, frankly. And, you know, my favorite one when we say goodbye is Frank's a lot. Frank, you. Haha, <laughs> that one sounds worse in some way. I know it know? does. That, that sounds Thank terrible. You. Hey, if you haven't heard yet, Raw Audio 6 is now live. You can hear actual 911 emergency calls and the backstories behind those calls. In this new episode, a woman walks into a bank not realizing that the bank was being robbed. He's coming out. He's coming out. He's out. He's out. He's out shooting guns. Holy shit. A man hides in his bedroom closet while burglars are in his home. Do you see someone inside? Yeah, he's, he's inside right now. Okay, where are you? In my bedroom. And multiple 911 calls about an active shooter in a hospital. My son was in the room. They said, get back in your room. There's an active shooter situation. Mercy Southwest. Is that, is that true? You can hear all of these by becoming a supporter of the show at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And if you haven't yet joined our private Facebook group, you're really missing out. That's where we talk about past episodes and all kinds of other stuff. And many of the guests I have on the podcast are also in that group, ready to answer your questions. Check it out at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. I hope you're doing okay and staying safe. I'll see you in two weeks. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.